the Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. My name is Brandon Elliott, your host, and this is my good friend. Uh, I have the pleasure to introduce Mr. Derek, Mr. Derek Harms. Um, <laughs> you know, you've been doing a bunch of fix and flips in San Diego for a good amount of time now, and um, and you've also done a bunch of investing on the East Coast as well. Um, as far as mobile home parks, a couple multifamily as well. And you are a uh, real estate agent for Berkshire Hathaway. So, uh, you know, welcome, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. Appreciate yeah. it. Looking forward to it. So, um, you know, this is my first ever podcast interview. So, uh, hopefully, first of many, but this is the absolute first. Okay, cool. I'm surprised nobody got you on before this. Hey man, um, I'm it, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, cool. So, um, if you wouldn't mind, like, explain a little bit more of your background and just dive into, you know, uh, kind of how you got to where you're at today. Sure. Um, so it all really started right after college. Um, my graduation gift from college instead of the trip to Europe that I wanted from my parents. My dad said, nope, I'm going to buy you a piece of vacant land. This uh, property was in Arkansas and it was a piece of property that needed a lot of clearing. It was a vacant land and it, we went in and cleared it, sold it to a developer and made a few bucks. It wasn't much. I think I made like six grand or something along those lines. Mm. And at that point, that just got the wheels turning and um, got me interested in the business. From there, it took me a little while longer to actually jump in full stride. I was, I went bounced around a couple different jobs. I was a bartender mainly for a while. But the interesting thing about that job is that it allowed me to bartend at night to pay my bills. And during the day, I would study real estate. And then I eventually bought a duplex, which was three hours from where I lived. And uh, during the day, I would drive out to the property, work on it, sweat equity type thing, drive back and bartend, drive back the next day. And I did this for a couple months until we got the property completed and ended up selling it to a regular at my bar and made, I believe, I made $17,000 on that deal. So I, that again, got my mouth wet. And from there, I, I decided to quit bartending and just get real estate full time. So that's how I progressed into it. And um, from there, it was kind of a longer story. So I don't know if you want me to go into that or if that's kind of what you're asking. No, go for it. Dive in. Okay. Uh, from there, I got my real estate license. And what year uh, was that? That was 2011 that okay. I, I got that. The, the duplex I bought was 2010. Got my license in 2011. Um, I also, uh, right around that time, I moved to Florida because I had bought a property online at a tax deed auction. I had taken a training 
you know, like a three-day boot camp on feed sales and tax lean investing. And I learned how to do it. I liked Florida because I have a lot of resources there, family, uh, and my mother was there at the time. So I had a place, I had resources, a place to stay and I knew people. So I bought a property there and moved there. It was the worst property I've still seen to date um, in all of the homes we flipped and looked at even. I mean, it was um, a prehistoric jungle had taken over this house. It had been sitting vacant in Florida for many years. And in Florida, things grow fast. And since I removed a colony of 60,000 bees from the property, it was literally a, a complete jungle. And uh, I didn't really know what I had gotten myself into when I pulled the trigger on it, but ended up all working out and made, made about $32,000 on that deal. And then from there, that really taught me how to flip a house because if I can flip that house, you can flip anything. So uh, that, that really is what got, got me going. And then from there, I moved back to San Diego and um, been here ever since. <clears throat> okay, cool. Yeah, man. Last night, uh, we actually saw each other at, um, at the RIA group for San Diego's um, Creative Investors Association. And when you were presenting your, your project there, I mean, I thought that one looked like a headache, but from what you just described, that sounds a lot more, you know, like a jungle. Yeah. If you remember last night, I mentioned that the one last night was the second worst property that I'd ever heard. Yeah, the first one was this one in Florida and it made that one look like Caesar's Palace. It was really that bad. Wow. Yeah. So going back um, from... Obviously, like your family wise, uh, you obviously have an educated, smart dad to, you know, not not blow the money on a vacation for you, but instead kind of set you up and gear you up for the right path. Um, so he's always been an investor as well. No. Um, so he had he, my dad was a cameraman. So he was a cameraman for TV shows like Home Improvement um, boy meets world. I don't, really? know. I don't know. You may be too young to remember those chefs, but, uh, but no, those were, those were, that, that was his job as his career. And towards the end of his career, he saw the light and realized that that is just a job and it's not going to create the future wealth that he wanted. So he started dabbling in real estate investing and eventually quit being a camera operator full time just to get into real estate investing full time. And everyone in his industry thought he was crazy because he had really made a name for himself. He had five golden globes, uh, you know, had five Emmys sitting in his living room and anyone who can do that is pretty accomplished, but he knew what he was doing and he got into real estate investing full time. And he's really the person who steered me in the right direction. And he's still my confidant on every deal I do now. I usually talk to him about it and I, I, I got a lot of where what I value today in real estate from him. Mm, okay, that's awesome. What other uh, type of education have you had before that? Um, besides, actually, you know, going to take your, um, you know, your license test. So before uh, before that, so I mean, I, I graduated from college with a bachelor's degree. I went to uh, Sonoma State, which is in Northern California, but I didn't really learn anything about real estate there. So. Um, before that, I'm not sure, Brandon, but I can tell you that, especially recently in the past two or three years, is I've been a perpetual student and you really have to be 
focused on learning and continuously learning because the minute you think you know it all, you're screwed because you just don't. I'm always learning. There's, you have to be humble with it, but um, from all aspects of the business. So I've taken negotiation trainings. I've gone to you know, building conferences. I've gone to all kinds of trainings uh, to learn how to do this. I mean, from the financial side to the, to the, um, you know, to the social side about learning about people and then goal setting and all these things. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you really have to take that initiative because no one can do it for you. Of course. Yeah. I like that. I didn't know that. Um, you took so many classes there. Um, so as far as current deals that, or maybe even, you know, previous deals, what kind of learning curves have you experienced? A lot, man. Uh, so getting started, you, you know, you kind of think, you know, it all by taking these boot camps and things like that. And you're the minute you do your first couple deals, you really quickly learn that that's not the case. And there's so much to learn and it's, it really, the, the key has been surrounding yourself with people who have been there before and who know what they're doing and who can kind of coach you through. So I had a flipping mentor, rest in peace, his name was Jim Sowards. Uh, he was what I call a guru and had had done you know hundreds of, of flips and really kind of helped me to get where, where I'm at. So I would recommend anyone listening, if you're interested in flipping houses, it's, it would be a great idea. So it may sound cliche, but get a mentor and get just surround yourself with somebody who's done this a few times and not a few times, a lot, and knows knows how to insulate themselves from some of the things that can become problems. Because I'll tell you now, when I walk a house I'm potentially looking to buy, I know exactly what to look for. Whereas four years ago, I would have overlooked things now that will have would have cost me a lot of money. Yeah. Now, as far as like seminars and stuff like that, have you, have you taken real estate, um, like weekend courses or, or programs that you would pay for, I guess? Yes. Oh yeah. I've taken a lot. Okay. Um, I, I mean, and honestly, and the way I feel about those is, yeah. um, I feel like you just gotta be careful with the ones that you go to and pay for, but the, I feel that you have to go to, to seminars that were that costs money because the type of people that are going to be there who are willing to commit their hard-earned dollars to learn how to do something at a high level are most are the people you want to surround yourself with. And typically the people providing that education, it's not free. And those people have spent a lot of time and money learning how to do what they did. And if they're reputable and they're in, you respect their work and they come as a referral, like it's typically going to be worth every dime times a million. And every time I go somewhere to anything I pay for, I usually leave there with at least one thing. My dad taught me that for everything you go to learn at least one thing or meet one person or do one thing that's going to either make you or save you money. So I, I have gone to a lot. I continuously go to a lot. I'd say, I think the last one I went to was, a couple months ago, I went to Gary Johnson's Financial Freedoms uh, Principal Seminar. Yep. And I highly recommend that to anybody who, not even a real estate, just anyone interested in getting out of the rat race and yep. learning about finances and how, like how to actually look at how to make money and save money and invest money. Huge. It was amazing. Eye-opening. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I like that. So um, as far as 
How many deals have you been a part of now? Um, I would say I've been, I've been a part of probably about 50. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So how, how do you typically, and, and these are all basically, um, most of them, a majority are all for the fix and flip. Yes. So especially recently, uh, it's been really mainly focused on, on the fix and flips. And as I mentioned to you, and you pointed out earlier, I'm also, you know, a real estate agent. So I do, do just some, uh, I guess, typical uh, sales for, uh, for, for people as well. But right now it's mainly a focus on the fix and flip. Okay. So as far as fix and flip um, investing, how do you, how do you go about getting your leads? Multiple ways. So I believe that you have to have at least two really good uh, lead sources and that are always feeding you deals. And this is a growing um, part of our business. So just last year, we really started cranking this up where we had a, a regular regiment of lead generation. And matter of fact, we're currently in the process of hiring uh, um, a full-time assistant, and an acquisitions manager to handle where we've been going with this. But we do, we do mailing campaigns and um, a, a referral-based as well. So a lot of our deals come from other agents that I've done deals with or wholesalers or affiliates of title or anyone, anyone else who's in the real estate industry. If you bark up their tree um, consistently, at least once every now and then uh, a piece of the fruit's going to fall from the tree. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, so for the most part, you know, you definitely um, give credit towards relationship building and, and uh, you know, the people that you know around you. Absolutely. And I would say that that has been probably the the biggest influence on me is getting involved with the right people who have in turn got me involved with their right people. And one thing leads to another and you're, you're really surrounded with a great group of people and they, that it always, it just turns into something great. I mean, I've met, uh, you know, one of my partners right now, awesome dude. And I met him at a financial round table and then we ended up going to an apartment building training together and now we're great friends and have invested together i wouldn't think twice about um you know uh you know lending the guy money or what have you because we've got that kind of relationship now and it's all from these like just getting to these groups where like-minded people interact okay so how many partners or partnerships um are you is it like joint ventures that you're a part of or, or just, um, you know, a team building right now? Yeah. So I don't have like a, I have a full-time partner. Her name's Kimberly and you know, she sits right over there. Um, and so she's my business partner in terms of our corporation that we flip houses with. But when it comes to like fringe partnerships, um, there's a few that, that I'm a part of. And if a deal is brought to me, I would, I would feel comfortable working with that person, but that, that is the, that, that I wouldn't call them like official partners, yeah, but yeah. Like, like you said, like a joint venture kind of thing. Okay. And going back towards um, the direct mail marketing, what kind of uh, response rate have you had? I know you were talking about it a little bit last night and, um, and going into negotiating uh, your tactics with, the, with that. I, I want to hear a little bit, more about but 
I'm curious, uh, you know, a lot of people, I hear all different types of uh, kind of ratios that end up turning out for them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to be completely candid, um, I don't have an exact number for you. And that's something this year that once I have an assistant, yeah, that'll help. It'll, it'll really be a lot easier to track these numbers. Uh, I totally am on the camp that you need to, if you market, you need to track it and do it properly. So that is on my high priority list. I'm also going to be using a podio based system, which will really help me track and organize all these leads. But from my experience past year, I'm getting about a 3% response rate, which is pretty good. And I attest that to the fact that the marketing I'm doing, the mailing market I'm doing is pretty specialized in terms of in terms of the list of people that I'm sending to and the letter themselves, it's, it's more of a customized letter rather than a blanket, um, a, a blanket postcard that I'm just sending out to Canvas and neighborhood or so. Yeah. So what, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. In what the, the letter or the letter? Yeah. I mean, is it a different color to make it stand out like something welcoming or. Yeah. So I, I use, um, I always use a bright envelope okay. that looks fun and that isn't your standard white envelope. So immediately when you receive it in the mail, it looks like something interesting because the fact is when you and I check our mail every day, it's a pile and we quickly sift through it and go trash, trash, keep, I'll open that in a minute, trash, trash, keep, and then at least it's the way I do it. And I now have a pile of stuff that I need to go through and open. And if it's in a fun envelope and it's handwritten and it looks like an invitation to something or something like that, it's going to get open. So the open rate to me is crucial because if it doesn't get past that, it doesn't matter what's on it. Yeah. So, so that, that to me is, is big. So we make sure we always do something like that. And I always have a female write, handwrite our envelopes. Their writing always looks more inviting. Maybe that's, <laughs> I don't know, but dude, mine is mine's elementary gibberish, and every email I've known has really nice handwriting. So that's worked for us. And from there, the letter is um, very specific, and it's not it's not just canvassing neighborhood. It's to a select group of, of people who I'm mailing to, whether that's absentee owners or probate or whatever that is. But it references their specific situation rather than just being, Hey, I want to buy your house. Yeah. So how does that, um, how do you actually pick out from that list? I mean, is it just something that you and your partner kind of come to agreements on or just something that you think would be trendy and, and popular? Yeah. So she pretty much defers to me when it comes to the, the marketing and really I'm no marketing guru. I, I'm not reinventing any wheels. I, I have a couple people, uh, mentors of mine who mm. I, started the conversation with and that, that's where I've learned pretty much all of this from and and basically every, what they say is and I'm sure this is nothing new to anyone doing mailing marketing but it's, it's this, you've got to find somebody with some motivation to sell their home so that's really what we're we're starting with is all right what type of list of people is going to have even the slightest motivation to sell their home and I think that there's certain addresses and people you can just cross right off the list because no motivation there so i mean just for instance if you get a list of people and you run a quick search to see which homes have sold within the last 12 months they're probably not trying to sell their home again 
in, in 12 months, you know, if they've only owned it for 12 months. And granted, that can change in their certain circumstances, but we're basically starting with who we think may be motivated, at least because of their situation. And then now we go from there. Yeah. You know, it's funny about six months ago, I, I received, um, I received uh, a direct mail marketing uh, letter and it wasn't even a letter. I didn't need to open it or anything. It was a bright yellow postcard. And then on the back of it, it had, you know, we buy houses and um, it, it was something that stood out obviously because it was so bright yellow. Um, but I literally just bought the house and got it to the point that it, it, it was running really well, a triplex. And uh, it was about a year and a half after I purchased it. So I was kind of shocked, you know, why they would actually pick me at, as, um, you know, that was their kind of um, who they're targeting to trying to, I guess, get people that ran into bad situations a year and a half later, realized this is not good and wanted to get out. But, but. You know, I, know, I know a lot of guys who make a lot of money by simply sending out 10,000 postcards a, a week and they don't they don't care who they go to because they, it's a numbers game yeah. and it's, you're going to get a lot of people since you like someone like you who just throws it away or there's no motivation, but they're going to get people who are interested. So I know yeah. people who do that as well. And um, that's completely fine. That's just not really the model that I use. Yeah. Well, I called them up. I called them, but <laughs> just to hear more about what they were doing, but uh, I thought it was kind of funny. So what, what does it typically cost you um, per letter? So we're in all in about a little over a dollar. We're like a dollar 10 and some people might say that's high. Um, and it probably is high, but again, we're doing a more customized letter and trying to go a little more quality than we are quantity. And so we're about a dollar 10 all in, and that includes the envelope, the paper, the ink, the stamp. Again, we use, we use fun stamps. We go online and buy really interesting stamps. They're not just ones you buy a post at the post office and kind of create an open rate. And, you know, I, I would hire someone to handwrite the envelopes and et cetera. So between all those costs, it's about a dollar 10 for each piece. Okay. Nice. Um, going back to learning curves or, you know, some wins as well, obviously. Um, but I'm curious, you know, what, what has been your biggest like takeaway? Take away from the marketing or uh, take away from what? Just in, in general with real estate, um, I, I know you're speaking a little bit last night about some of, you know, your learning curves with a particular property, but, um, but besides even that particular instance with, uh, the, the gas line, um, what else would you say would, would be like your, your biggest thing that, you know, is a huge learning curve or, or something that, you know, cost you? Sure. So, um, I would say water number one is kind of a learning curve. So always, you always have to have an eye for water and what water is going to do in and around your property. And it's, it just sounds like so simple, but until you have something that really screws you up at a property because of water intrusion or leaking or what have you, it's you don't think about it like you did and until you have something major happen um so i would say at least like on on a blocking a job and looking at it just just be really cognizant of what water does you know or the, is the landscape sloping back towards the house is there and is there does it look like water's going to get underneath the foundation does it look like there's a um any sort of the ground problem or anything like that that 
you just don't really look at your kind of, you have kind of, you know, deer and headlights kind of when you get started for those kind of things. But once one bites you in the butt, you'll learn how to, how to get through that. But I'd say my, my two biggest takeaways just from my experience in real estate these days is uh, number one is uh, who you surround yourself with. If you are learning from people who are dumb or are too risky or um, not risky enough, then it, it's going to rub your off on you. So I would just say to anyone listening who, who's looking to get started, it's, it's really important to get around people who really have the same vision of you or who are doing exactly what you're doing or what you want to do. So if you want to flip houses, go out there and grind and find out who are the top 10 people in your market flipping houses and take them out to lunch, take them out to coffee. It may take you a few minutes to get somebody to agree to it, but don't you bug them enough, you know, it, it'll happen. So that kind of leads me to my next point, which is probably even more, more important is uh, take action. You have to go and do something. Nothing will fall into your lap, whether it's bugging somebody for lunch or whether it's buying a property or whether it's doing diligence or whatever, you have to actually go out there and just do it because our, the odds are you're going to make some mistakes, but if you don't do nothing's ever going to happen. So it, it's really easy to get uh, paralysis by analysis. And I know that term's thrown around a lot in our industry, yeah. but really easy to do and there's all these things that you think are going to get in your way when really it's your mind and yourself getting in your way so you really just got to go out and do it and 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 just make sure you're smart about it but make sure you go out and take action that's huge nice yeah i love it that's good um so what kind of what kind of projects are you working on right now right now we got five projects going one of them uh is Recently completed, I put on the market last week. I have multiple offers. Matter of fact, when we're done with this, I have to uh, go and choose one with uh, with my partner. And we have a couple condos that were- Did that get bid up? Sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So it went, all of our offers are over asking price right now. And yes, it did get bid up. And I thought I listed it at a price that was already significantly high. So- you know, that's where we're at. Will there be an appraisal issue? Maybe. Uh, knock on wood. All last year, we set records on all of our homes in this respective neighborhoods. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And we all got, got the appraisal of that value. And I take a lot of pride in that because I put together a very thick package for the appraiser and really tried to help coach them to our price. And at the end of the day, you know, they're licensed, bonded, and insured and going to make their, their decision based off the data. But you do the best you can to give them all the data to get them to your number. So I feel confident in that, but yes, it did get better. Yeah. I actually have a, a learning curve myself with one of my properties in Ohio. I, I built value in it and then I, I went to um, refinance it and my particular lender, they wouldn't go underneath a certain amount and I needed it to, it was like right around the edge um, is what the appraiser came back at. And um, at the end of the day, I couldn't actually get the loan, but I, I pretty much, I, I wasn't prepared enough to actually, um, you know, have a, a thick packet. And I didn't show up to the property because of the distance. I, I thought it was just going to appraise for it, you know, no problem. And there's just some learning curves with that. But um, I'm glad you mentioned that. I believe that wholeheartedly and yeah. I feel bad for just 
clients out there and people just Johnny home buyer and home seller who have real estate agents who don't show up for the appraisal because they're really doing their clients a disservice. And, you know, whether it's for my property or someone I'm, I'm listing a home for whatever, like it's mandatory for me to be there because that's a huge component as you found out the hard way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, cool. Um, let's see where, so about some of the other projects. Um, yeah. and so I had a couple, uh, we have a couple condos that were kind of interesting. They were based off of a letter that I wrote the guy. Oh. I wrote a letter to a, a gentleman's home address and asking, trying to buy that house when indeed he called me and said he had two condos that he was looking to sell. And that uh, it took a long time to materialize. I think by the day he got the letter to the day we closed escrow was like about four or five months. But um, finding that more and more is that it's taking a long time for these things to incubate and then turn into deals and turn into closings. But uh, that, that was really interesting. Both of those are going on the market. One of them just got photographed today. I'll have it on tomorrow. And then the other one will be on Monday or Tuesday. Um, but again, those came from, from a letter. And another one that we're closing on. Go ahead. Direct uh, mail marketing for that? Or were you driving for dollars and you just saw that property? Nope, that was strictly a meal campaign. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And then the other one you were talking about? That is up in Carlsbad, which mm. is San Diego County, for those of you that don't know. And that, again, was a product from mailing campaign. And I mentioned this last night that this particular seller has sold us multiple houses and um, has just been a great source of, of income really because you know you do right by them the first time and they're impressed and they're happy to work with you and they realize you're not trying to screw anybody over and they'll call you when they have other needs and you know he's given my name out to other people and i haven't heard from them yet but he says i probably will and being given his track record i believe him yeah that's awesome so how did for that particular situation obviously you know that that all revolves around you taking action and being persistent but how did you get this particular homeowner to get to know, like, and trust you to feel comfortable to constantly just be sending you all these deals when I think you talked about it last night and it's easy to, um, to understand in the market that we're in right now, when there is a deal around, there's typically, you know, a swarm of investors, um, at the property typically that, you know, are all trying to get to the, to the homeowner. So how did you stand out? So I think it's a couple things. And first off was the persistence and I would follow up religiously and in, in our business follow up is crucial. And you know, I learned this from uh, Joe McCall on his podcast and he, he basically preaches follow up because it's so crucial and it's so true. And I'm, I've learned that just through my, my own practice, but I would follow up religiously. And then number two is just, be real with people. You know, I'm not out there to try to screw somebody over. And I think that comes off in the way I present myself and the way I present my offers and the way that I talk to people is I'm trying to solve a problem for everybody rather than try to win a negotiation or, or take advantage of somebody. And really in real estate, you have your reputation and really all you have. And if you develop a, a really bad one and, you're, it's really bad for business. So I'd rather not do a deal and lose out on tens of thousands of dollars 
and uh, rather than to then risk my reputation doing that. So I think that was really it. And at the end of all of it, he said, Derek, I feel like I can really trust you and you've done everything you said you're going to do. So if you tell him you're going to call him on Tuesday at three o'clock, call him on Tuesday at three o'clock. Or if you say you're going to have the title company reach out to them, have, make sure that happens. So yeah, it's not like rocket science, right? It's just like, be honest and, and uh, be punctual and you're probably going to get deals. So true. Yeah. Not enough people are those things. Unfortunately, a lot of people are getting to that greedy stage and, you know, want to make sure that they're making the money and then keep in, um, you know, just the transparency and also consistency like you were bringing up. So, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's it. I like that transparency and consistency. It's what words to live by in our business. Yeah. Cool. So, um, uh, just backtracking a little bit, if we could talk about the the mobile home park um, a little bit more in detail, you know, how did you come across that? Obviously, that's long distance. Is that what you're looking um, into originally? Or, you know, how, how did you come across something like that? So my, my dad actually got started in mobile home parks. That was one of his very oh, okay. first investments. And he was the, the influence for me to get into a mobile park investment. And one of the first properties I bought other than the duplex was um, a two unit um, building. It wasn't a duplex. There were two separate units. There were two mobile homes on uh, one parcel of land. And I was in Florida and that was my first like taste into the business. And then um, my dad had owned quite a few mobile home parks and, that got me interested and there was a deal that came across his desk in Florida and it was, you know, he basically said, Hey Derek, would you like to partner with me on this? And he was doing me a favor. He didn't need me as a partner yeah. or didn't need the money. So um, he was really doing that to help me grow and to help me make some money. And uh, I ended up borrowing the money to get involved in the deal. And that is that's how that kind of progressed. And I, he had made friends with one of the best mobile home park investors that he knew that I still have ever met. And that's how he got into it. So it goes back to surrounding yourself with people who in this business who are legit. And that's what he did. And that's kind of what I did with him. And that's, that's how I got involved. Okay. Did you, I mean, I'm sure you did, but uh, did you learn a lot? even though it was kind of, you know, a deal that uh, was kind of brought in already, um, you know, were, were there learning curves along the way or, you know, your dad was already a little bit experienced plus um, that other guy that you were mentioning. Totally. Yeah. There was a huge learning curve and yeah. mobile home parks are unlike any other real estate asset class that at least I know of you're dealing with depending on the class of park, but this class was, I would say a C-class C park, maybe, you know, depending on how you, you qualify it, it could be maybe a C minus or a D. So you're, you're dealing with interesting tenants and, uh, you know, for lack of a better adjective, but you really have to, you really have to change the way you look at, at tenants, the way you talk to them, the way you deal with that demographic and the product you give them, frankly. I mean, the homes I'm flipping, you know, I'm flipping a $3 million house in La Jolla yeah. is completely different than a 19-space mobile home park in Florida. And you really kind of have to shape you, you do your business that way. So I learned a heck of a lot 
very quickly. And uh, that type of demographic, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So you have to get pretty stern and you really have to know what you're doing or you're going to, you're going to lose. So anybody looking to get involved in mobile and parks, I love it. They're great asset classes and you'll probably do very well. Just make sure you realize you're getting into a little different uh, arena of real estate and just do your diligence. That's all. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I feel like that's not, uh, I mean, within the group that, uh, I mean, you know, that we're in, it is, but uh, a lot of people that are first starting off, I feel like it's not stressed out enough that, you know, you really have to do your due diligence on, on projects and sometimes, uh, taking too much action, just jumping into things could actually hurt you. But at the same time, you don't want to be that type of person that's just, um, thinking too much about it. So Totally. And it's a balance, right? Like, like anything, you just have to make sure you got the right balance of diligence and action and you're going to succeed. For sure. So what kind of, I mean, what does the future have in store for you? You know, what, what are you working on? Um, you know, any goals this year or where, where do you see yourself? Yeah. So I actually have my goal day for the year next week on Tuesday. So I haven't, I haven't set everything up for this year yet. And I'm a little behind schedule. I was traveling for a while. I like to have it done by now. I did last year at this time, but I don't yet. So Tuesday is my goal day. So I'll have everything kind of dialed in, but I've done some retrospect. Um, are you, are you just doing that with your partner or just yourself? Yeah, so uh, it's actually, I'm actually doing it with uh, my partner and I have already kind of gone over our goals for the year for our group. But I have a friend of mine who's um, very like minded and we're getting together and we're doing a it's like a full goals day. And it's it's, it's everything. So it's it's physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's yeah. it's family, it's uh, it's everything, um, you know, business related. So everything that's kind of what we're doing. Um, on Tuesday and but like for our my group here for when it comes to flipping houses our goal was to to double our production from last year and we feel that hiring these next two people is going to get us there and probably some more and it, that that is uh, the, the forefront of, of really kind of what we're focusing on right now and it's a lot of work up front to get someone the right person and involved in, in any sort of uh, fit within your company but it's uh, it's mandatory, man. And I'm sure everybody will tell you, you know, if you don't have an assistant, you are. Then we're at that point now where we 100% need one. Yeah. So have you built up a team uh, in the past before, or this is kind of the beginning stages? First time that I'm yeah. building, building a team. Yeah. This okay. is, I've had a kind of quasi team, but they were never like part of the core group. Uh, you know, the, the part of the company or part of, um, you know, the, the, the wheels that really are the mechanic, the mechanics behind the wheel or whatever you want to phrase it. I never had someone that was really enthralled with my company that, that was the part of the group. Like we've had contractors that have kind of been um, project managers and things like that, but it's never really been integral part. So the first time it's going to be organically grown um, within our company. Yeah. Okay. It's exciting, man. I know that that's something that I'm going to have to do in, you know, the near future in the next year or so. And, um, yeah, I don't know how to wrap my head around that. I see other people doing it and, you know, really just killing it with team building and then other people are just falling apart. So, um, 
So it'll be definitely good to learn from you um, with any learning curves that you come across and, and your, your wins in the next year or so. I think that'll be yeah, cool. Absolutely. So I'm actually, uh, I, I just read this book, which was really good. It's called Fire Yourself. Yeah. Uh, the guy's name is Brian Elwood. And I heard, I heard about him on a podcast, Joe McCall's podcast. And it was, this book teaches you how to hire an acquisitions manager, but you can apply the hiring techniques to other aspects, which we're kind of using. Like that's what we've, we've kind of done in this process is take a piece of this person's book and mm-hmm. combine it with a piece of this person's advice and coming up with their own little twist on it to find the right person. So um, I would say our goal is by March 1st to have, for our full-time assistant hired really okay cool that's good i like it so what what else excites you besides real estate so i love sports i always have been i was an athlete my whole life and i look forward to watching all types of sports mainly uh, football and baseball i love playing golf i love fishing and camping and anything outdoors is really right up my alley um that really excites me is is really is to be active and and um i really i love good food i love going out and having a nice meal yeah nice wine so i mean i would say between between those those two things and being outdoors and going and eating really well with my girlfriend or with friends or whatever you yeah. know i love doing that kind of stuff cool so um all right nice um so what, I mean, is there anything that we can do to actually serve you and give back? Um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing that I'm really trying to focus on this year is, is to be a part of, of my life and my, my routine is to give back. And I have really not done a, a good job of that. So there, to, give, to, to give back to me, there's nothing really that I, I can think of besides using your podcast to influence other people to give back. You know, I've been blessed in, in having a successful real estate business and I really don't do enough to give back to the community and, and uh, just give back to others less fortunate. So that's, that's something that I really need to focus on. So um, to give back to me would be to give back to your listeners to influence them to give back. That would be cool. Okay, cool. All right. Any, any final words or anything? I don't want to take up too much of your time. No. Um, I would just say, um, I think going back to a couple things is, uh, take action. Like that is really the key. Most people don't, and that will just hold you back. Whether you take action and fail and you will fail. And, um, it's important. Okay. That's fine. And just people are like very terrified of that. That's right. And as long as you learn from it. And um, I think I'll leave you with one uh, quote that uh, my a friend of mine gave me uh, a year or so ago, and he flips probably 70 plus houses a year. And uh, mm. but one thing he said to me was, Derek, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And he's so right. And the more you follow up, the more you, the more you shake the trees, the more the fruit's going to fall. So, you know, to anyone listening, just go out there, be that squeaky wheel. You're going to get the grease every now and then and as the more you do it the more you're going to get so uh, i mean it's so true cool i like that (laughs) i've never heard that before (laughs) it's a good one so uh how can people reach out to you 
So myriad of ways. I mean, these days you have to be all connected social media wise and everything, but if you want to reach out to me directly, totally cool. My phone number is 858-444-7752. My email is Derek, D-E-R-E-K at Sonoka, S-O-N-O-C-A dot O-C-O. C-O not com. Okay. Someone took, someone took our domain.com and what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. All right, guys. Um, my name is Brandon Elliott. I'm your host. Uh, you can reach me at brandonelliotinvestments.com or brandonelliotinvestments at Gmail. Um, thank you so much, Derek. I, I truly appreciate you know the time and all your experience. You, you're definitely somebody that I look up to in, in good old sunny San Diego. And uh, I appreciate it, man. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Do this again sometime. Yeah. And anybody out there that is watching this, please like, um, subscribe, leave a comment, share, get it all out there. I appreciate you guys. You have been listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Till next time, God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.